Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers, and welcome back to the podcast. This is episode eight of season five, but it's also my 100th episode, the 100th episode of Historical Fiction Unpacked, which has me super excited. So to celebrate, we're doing a very special giveaway. I'll just give you a little teaser. I'll tell you more details at the end of the show. But for now, know that if you enter this giveaway, you can win your choice of three books from that have been featured on the podcast. The prize pack includes other goodies, including bookish earrings from Baker's Blessed Designs made by Jessica Baker. But I will share more details with you at the end of the show. Today, I'm sharing an interview I had with Jocelyn Green, and it's a super exciting milestone for Jocelyn, too. This is her 20th book. Her 20th book just released on Tuesday, and it's called The Metropolitan Affair. I read this book. I loved it, and I loved talking to Jocelyn. I know you will really enjoy this conversation I had with her. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jocelyn Green. Jocelyn, thank you for joining me on the show again. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Um, your latest novel, The Metropolitan Affair, released on March 14th. Can you tell me about this book? Oh, sure. So this one is set in New York City in 1925. So it's the jazz age, it's prohibition era, and our protagonist is a, a curator or an assistant curator of Egyptian art at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. She has a PhD in Egyptology, and she's really kind of pioneering into a man's field or what has been a man's field so far. Um, The male lead in the story is Joe Caravello. He is a New York City police detective, and Lauren and Joe knew each other when they were teenagers but lost touch over the years. But they're thrown back together near the beginning of this story when Joe decides to hunt for a forger of Egyptian art, and he knows that he can't do it without Dr. Westlake, without Lauren. So the further they go in their search for the forger, um, the more secrets they uncover. And uh, of course, you know how these things go, the more danger, the more intrigue, all of that. Yes. And there was a lot of that. I finished reading this a couple weeks ago and I enjoyed it so much. Um, But I was wondering what inspired you to write this book? That's a great question. What inspires me to write any book? Sometimes (laughs) I have a good idea right away, but not in this case. I was I mean, I must have pitched 15 ideas to my editor and all of them were nixed for one reason or another. And so what we ended up doing was looking for um, big historic anniversaries. Like, are we going to reach the 100th anniversary of anything, you know, around the time that this book is going to come out? And so as we were searching, we found that um, we were going to come close to the 100th anniversary of the opening of King Tut's tomb. So we knew that we wanted to set the story in America. So my editor was like, well, you know, King Tut's tomb, we're, you know, that's outside of America. I don't know if we could do anything with that. So I just started researching, are there any American connections to King Tut? And that led me down one rabbit trail after another. And I discovered a woman named Caroline Ransom, who was the first woman in America to have uh, 
PhD in Egyptology, and she was the first curator or female curator at the Met of Egyptian art. So I just looked into her as a person and I was really inspired by her story. And so when I pitched that angle to my editor, we came up with this idea of um, working in an art forgery scheme at the same time. Mm. Yeah, it's that's so interesting. It kind of almost like you entered this whole world through the back door. Not- I did. <laughs> I very much did. Yeah, but it was fascinating. I mean, there were so many details about Egyptology and how to tell real artifacts from forged artifacts. And then there was, you know, as you mentioned, prohibition and jazz and and all the oh, the corruption within the NYPD. Right. Um, I, I just learned so many things that I didn't know very much about. How did you go about doing all this research for this book? I mean, you described how you you know, came to discover about um, Caroline. Sure. But other than that. Yeah. So I had a blast researching this book. Mm -hmm. Um, I was able to find some books on the great art forgeries of, you know, the last uh, several decades. And so reading about the real thing compared to the forged thing. And so I most of the the little forgeries that you find in the story are based off of real forgeries that oh, I wow. did find. Um, and as far as the Metropolitan Museum of Art itself, they have wonderful archives. So mm-hmm. um, it was a matter of going to their online gift shop and and buying things early on in the process, um, books and, and research documents. I have um, the Book of the Dead was something that played a role in the story. And I have yeah. a copy of one book of the dead that I bought from the Met. Um, Mm. So a a lot of that kind of thing. And as far as researching prohibition and the corruption in the New York City Police Department, one book in particular was really helpful. It was called Dry Manhattan. Um, I did, of course, look into all kinds of documentaries and, and little movies that I could find online as well. But it was kind of like I had to do a bunch of research on prohibition in Manhattan, and then a bunch of research on art forgery, and then research on Egyptian history. And there is a character in the novel, Dr. James Breasted, and he was a historical figure, and he was the mentor of Caroline Ransom. So I Mm -hmm. had him play a role in the novel. And so I also have the textbooks that he wrote, which my fictional character refers to. So there's a there's a forgery in the in the novel that she only realized was a forgery after she realized this little piece of history that she had in a textbook. And mm-hmm. I would not have known that either if I didn't have the same textbook that she did. So it was it was a bunch wow. of different things and then just kind of weaving them together. So you almost became an expert on Egyptology and <laughs> you know what? Like- <laughs> I tried. I even have two books on how to read Egyptian hieroglyphics. And wow, you know, I do not know how to read Egyptian hieroglyphics. <laughs> I have no idea. But I I did my part. I tried to do my homework and I was able to at least read in the introduction of those books on hieroglyphics that there is such a thing as feminine and masculine articles. So I was able to say, okay, well, if a forger didn't know that, it would be easy to say, well, they are using the wrong article in this inscription. So I'm not fluent (laughs) in ancient (laughs) languages by any means, but little things like that I was able to pick up on. Right. 
Yeah. And what you don't know helped you know what other people wouldn't know. So exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Um, so there are so many different facets to the, this novel, and yet they all fit together beautifully at the end. So I'm just wondering, like, did you build your story um, and all the mysteries that came together um, kind of as you went, or did you have it firmly in your mind based on what you discovered in your research ahead of writing it? I had planned out the different little forgeries and the different elements of the mystery before I started writing. Okay. There were a few instances where I wrote it and I looked at it and I was like, ooh, that's that's confusing. Like that even for me. That like I want to confuse my readers a little. But right. Not, <laughs> but not so much that they want to give up. And if it's confusing for me and my editors, then I just have to kind of simplify a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I did end up um cutting out one or two forgeries entirely just because. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. (laughs) You read the book, so you're like, how did you think you could fit any more in there? (laughs) Right. (laughs) It was a lot to keep track of in the beginning as as the story started to to unfold. Um, I don't know, the whole mystery and then things, there were things that did not go the way. You know, sometimes you start a book and you're like, oh, I kind of see where this is going. Yeah. Well, it didn't it didn't go where I thought it was going. Good. Um <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Um so I'm I don't know, I don't want to give spoilers. It's when hard. It comes to that. Yeah, it's hard to talk about it without giving any spoilers, but yeah. can you talk about maybe why you decided that certain relationships wouldn't go the way the reader might be expecting? <laughs> Yes, I'm just listening. I'm like, how are you going to ask this? I know what you're going to ask, but how are you going to word it? Good job, Allison. Oh, thank um, you. Yes, I, I can talk about that. Um, well, like you said, with a lot of stories, there are certain things that you you think, well, these two people are going to get together by the end of the book. They're the two people who are named on the back of the book. Obviously, yeah. they're going to get together. Um, and then you might find other characters and you learn a little bit about their backstory and you're like, Oh, mm-hmm. they had a hard time, but I think they can overcome it and they're going right. to be fine. But that's not how real life works. No. Um, sometimes there are relationships that, you know, you find yourself trying so hard and eventually you might discover that you're the only one who's trying and if you're in a situation like that, you have to decide, is, is that is that acceptable to me? Mm-hmm. Do I want to stay in a relationship if, um, if two people are not putting in the same amount of effort? Right. Gosh, I'm being so vague in general. <laughs> Listeners, I am sorry. <laughs> I just want you to enjoy the book. Yes. But I do want to address the question, why... Why is there not a tidy bow at the end, at least right. the way you were expecting things to be tied up? Um, because I I want readers to just – I wanted to explore the, the reality that it is possible to have a different kind of resolution than mm-hmm. the happy ending that we're all expecting and hoping for. And there are different kinds of happy endings. There are different kinds of fulfillment. Yes. And um, 
And I think that anyone who's been around on this earth will understand that, yeah, that's true. So fiction is a really interesting way to explore that. A lot of times you just want the happy ending. And I hope I'm not turning anybody away from the story because no, because there I, is a happy ending. Yes. The, you know, the main happy ending you expect, you're going to get it. It's going to be <laughs> fine. Don't worry. Right. <laughs> But there are nuances and complexities to relationships that are, um, I hope, realistic to how real people actually are. Yes, it is very realistic. But also, I do want to reassure readers also that that it is fulfilling, like, in a different way than you expect. So, mm-hmm. you know, even though it might not be what I expected to happen, it's still... I think in a greater way, just brought it mm-hmm. and, and more like real way because, yes. okay, this is truth. This is real life and what we deal with. And yet there was redemption. Right. And I end, love so. redemption. I love yes. it so much. And that's really what I was going for at the end of the story. And it's just kind of fascinating as an author to, because I, you know, at the very end, when she realizes that her mother's dying words, she had thought it meant one thing, and then mm-hmm. there is a twist on it at the very end. Yes. I didn't realize that myself until like the third round of edits. Oh, I and, love that. <laughs> and I just gasped at my computer. I was like, oh my gosh, that's it. And and I'll tell you something, Allison. As I was writing the story, I was kind of like, what is the point of this book? Like, why does it matter? I had just, this is the story that I wrote after Drawn by the Current, which won a Christie Award. It honored people who died in tragedy that not very many people know about. The Metropolitan Affair is a totally different change of scenery. It is, no, There's no war. There's Mm -hmm. no natural disaster. There's no man-made disaster. And I was just like, oh, what is it that's going to matter to people? What's mm-hmm. going to matter? But then when I had that little twist on her mother's dying words, and yes. I realized, oh, that matters. Yes, I want absolutely. that to matter to readers. And this idea that she really got to know her mother after she died mm-hmm. by reading these letters, the idea that you can get close to someone, this is not something that I uh, really fleshed out in the novel, but I hope that people will understand that in the same way, we can get close to God, our Heavenly Father, even though mm-hmm. all we have is His written word. And Jesus has not been on this earth for 2,000 years, but that doesn't mean that we can't get closer and closer to Him. Right. Yeah. Yeah, That it really was beautiful. And, it, and I love that it happened in the midst of even your edits. That's amazing. I know. That was a close call. Yeah. (laughs) I really don't want to do that process No, I know. I'm sure. (laughs) Yes. But, um, but I've had things like that come to me where you go, oh my goodness, that's what this book is about. That's what happens to make this all come full circle. So that's great. So you mentioned, um, Drawn by the current. And so you previously previously wrote a trilogy set in Chicago, right. um, ending with Drawn by the Current. Uh, but I also, I, I did love this setting of 1920s New York City. But what was it like to write about a completely different city? You know, I felt disloyal 
to the Windy City Saga. After spending years, um, you know, going to Chicago and researching it and setting these stories and even guiding, you know, leading reader trips to Chicago. I've done that Mm -hmm. a couple of times, have another one coming up. Um, I was kind of dragging my feet. But after I visited New York Mm. City with a friend um, and then just began really unearthing all of these locations and a lot of them are still there. Right. It was a lot of fun, but it was it was work. But this is the start of another three book series all set okay. in Manhattan in about the same time frame, 1925-1926. So, I feel like um I'm very happy that I don't have to get to know a new city all over again. I can just hang out in Manhattan 1925-26 for a couple more years. Yeah, that's great. How did you make sure that you were portraying it accurately for the time? Like we can visit, but Mm -hmm. it's different now than it was in a hundred years ago. Yeah, it is definitely different. So um, a lot of books and going to historic places and the New York Public Library. One thing that was really helpful was just visiting the New York Public Library in person and Mm. befriending a reference librarian who I think... You know, he's like, uh, how long are you going to be, be here? A week? A couple of weeks? And I was like, tomorrow afternoon. I got to go back to Iowa. Um, but he was so kind that after I got back home, he set up um, a conference call with me. And he spent 90 minutes oh showing goodness. me how to find what I wanted to find through their digital archives. So I was able to, um, I was like, well, here's what I need to know for my story. And I shared with him about the characters and where does a New York City police detective live in 1925. So he showed me, you know, the the city record that has literally the addresses, the residence addresses of these people who worked at the 240 Center Street um, police station, which is pretty incredible. And I mean, that's kind of getting off in the weeds, but that's the level of detail that he was able to give me. And then um, I did peruse a lot of magazines that came out and newspapers that came out Mm. in that time period. And there's even this thing, anybody can Google this, you can just look up NYPL, what's on the menu, and it shows you historic menus from wherever you want. I mean, not everything, but like the restaurants that I wanted to have, I'm like, well, what what kind of food would they have had? What was on the menu at Hotel Astor on New Year's Eve, 1925? And I was able to find it. So um, yes, thank goodness for Paul from the New York Public Library. That was really invaluable. That's amazing. (laughs) Librarians and, you know, like museum curators. Yes. They're just amazing. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And you you can do only so much research on your own, but then you really just need to find a historian or an archivist or a librarian and just be be buddies and be like, yes. this is what I need. Please help. Point yeah, me in the right direction. Yeah, because they love to talk about it. So. Oh, they love it. They love yes. it. It's fun for them. Right. So um, do you feel, I mean, this was a very different kind of setting for you. Do you feel that writing this book changed your view of history at all? Hmm, that's a really good question. I don't think it changed my view of history, although I did learn a lot about prohibition that I didn't know 
But that's mm-hmm. not something that I had formed solid opinions on beforehand. So right. um, what it did for me was it made me appreciate the history of New York City a little bit more. I mentioned that I live in Iowa. I live in a fairly small town. Uh, so I'm not really a big city person. Um, yeah. But being able to visit and and talk to Paul and see all of this stuff and all the remarkable things about New York City really did give me an appreciation for it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I want to set every story in a big city. I, I'd kind of like to experiment like with a, a smaller town sometime, but I suppose I've done that in the past. I don't know. I'm just kind of all over the place in what I write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and you, you have been focusing on cities for a while now though mm-hmm. with the Windy City. And if you're doing three books in Manhattan, yeah. are you, do you think you'll lead um, trips to Manhattan? Then? Oh my gosh. People have asked me that. And I am wondering the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that Chicago has been very easy because it's within driving distance for me. Right, and right. I've been able to go so many times. Um, I don't know. I, if I if I lead something in Manhattan, I would definitely work with a company as opposed to just piecing it all together myself, which is what I've been able to do for Chicago. Yeah, that would be great, though. I mean, New York is within driving distance for me, so Ooh, hey. I can meet you there. Yes. <laughs> you talked. We talked a little bit about this, but maybe there are some others, um, lessons or themes that come out in this novel. Okay. Well, I think. Um, we already talked about re- the redemption theme. Yes. Um, we talked about how you can get to know someone or God, even though you're not right with them, and the whole complicated nature of relationships. Uh, another mm-hmm. theme that is throughout the novel is um, motives and why do we do what we do? Is it because we think we think it's expected of us? Do we think it will earn us approval or love or affection? Mm. So these are all questions that Lauren had to explore. And I I think that naturally, probably readers will ask the same things about whatever they're doing. Yes. Yeah. So you mentioned that, you know, we talked about this, the beginning of a trilogy set in Manhattan. So can you tell us about the next installment? Sure. I am writing it right now and Mm. it's early on, so it will probably all change, but I can (laughs) tell you some things that for sure will not change. Um, The protagonist of the next story is Elsa Reisner, who was Lauren's cousin. Yes. And um, I named Elsa after my daughter, Elsa. So that's kind of fun. My daughter, Elsa, is 16. Uh, Elsa is an ornithologist at the American Museum of Natural History. And right. this is going to be her story. She had um, a childhood illness with polio. And so now she has, she's 26 years old now. She's got a limp and her lungs have been compromised. So she just doesn't have the stamina for exercise that maybe other people her age do. And she is given a task at the beginning of this next novel to go to this 
Gothic country estate in um, the Hudson River Valley because this widow has died and she's decided to leave all of her collection of birds to the museum. Mm-hmm. So Elsa goes to the museum and she's trying to decide what they want to keep and how to catalog everything. But while she's there, she gets involved in a little bit of a mystery. And of course, there is a love interest and the right. love. Well, I'm not going to tell you who it is, actually, because this story is all written from Elsa's point of view. The mm. Metropolitan Affair was split between Lauren's point of view and Joe's, but yes. this one is going to be all completely Elsa. So you're not going to know at the start which way she's going to go. Okay. And that's probably all I can tell you because the rest is really up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's fine. I'm so excited that it's Elsa though. Um it's and I don't know if you can share this, but is the third book about the other roommate about yes. Ivy? Okay. Yep, the third book will be about Ivy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I should have seen that coming, but I don't know. Didn't. <laughs> That's totally fine. <laughs> That's great, though. Something to look forward to. Yes. Yeah. So this is my last question for you. It's kind of a fun question. Okay. I've been asking repeat guests this. So um, if you could choose to live in any time in history other than right now, in what time period would you choose? Oh, gosh. Can I choose? Oh, okay. So it can't be right now. No, sorry. <laughs> Can it be pre-COVID? Because that, that oh. seems like that was a pretty good time. <laughs> I know. I would like to choose 2017, please. <laughs> yes. Like, that was a good year. That was a really good year. We just didn't know how good we had it. No, I know. Uh, yeah. So, okay. If not that, if that's a little too recent, but man, those pre-COVID years, those were good years. Um, I guess it would be very exciting to live um, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, just because there was so much changing, you know, the telephone and um, all the electricity and modes of transportation. But now that I'm saying this out loud, I wonder how I would do. Because, you know, you watch television shows set during this time and and some characters are like, yes, it's modern times. And the other characters are like, no, I'm, I am really flustered by all of this change. I think, I wonder if I would be a little flustered by all the change because I can hardly keep up with social media. Yes. So I don't know. Maybe I should go back to my 2017 answer. <laughs> I don't know if I would deal with that change very well either, because I very often say I wish that smartphones were never invented. So oh, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with, okay, pre-smartphone. Can we at least do yeah, pre-smartphone, but let's not be afraid of cars. That would be good. Yes. Yeah. So like the 1990s? <laughs> yeah. Let's do, yeah. The 80s were good. I yes. enjoyed Trapper Keepers, scrunchies. <laughs> All those things. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Well, this has been such a great conversation, Jocelyn. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? Oh, thank you for asking. I think just go to Mm jocelyngreen.com as your starting place. And then you can look at the contact tab and it should have all the places where you can connect with me on Facebook and Goodreads and Instagram and (laughs) all the stuff we were just saying. Well, all the stuff we could be on All our smartphones yeah. doing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, it is good, good for some things. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's right. It's nice to be able to connect quickly, even though there are drawbacks. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> the struggle is real. I feel it. Yes. 
Okay. Well, this was a great conversation. It was so fun. Thank you for being with us today. It was so fun for me too. Thanks a lot, Allison. Well, friends, I know you enjoyed that conversation with Jocelyn. Now make sure that you visit the show notes at allisontreat.com slash blog or in your podcatcher, whatever app you use to listen to your podcast, that, that may have the show notes right in there. And then you can get to Jocelyn's books and especially pick up her last one, The Metropolitan Affair. If you could also subscribe to the show on your favorite podcatcher app, that would be super helpful. And you can also rate and review it wherever you listen to your pods. If you'd like to join the Facebook group, you can get there from the show notes, or you can search on Facebook for Historical Fiction Unpacked Podcast Group and join the conversation there. You can also follow us on Instagram at Historical Fiction Unpacked. And if you'd like to go the extra mile and support us on Patreon, please go to patreon.com slash Allison Treat. Allison is spelled with one L, A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T. You can also get there from the show notes which again live at alisontreat.com slash blog. Now this week, you have one extra reason to visit the show notes because I'm going to have a link to the giveaway there. And let me tell you about the 100th episode giveaway. Not only do you get a choice of three books that have been featured on the show, you also get, as I mentioned, bookish earrings from Baker's Blessed Designs. Jessica Baker is um, gifting these to me to give to you guys. And I'm so excited because the ones I chose are beautiful. Um, I will provide a picture in our show notes if possible. They will. You will probably only be able to see the picture if you go to my blog at alisontreat.com slash blog and look at the show notes there on my website. Also, we had a listener suggest in the Facebook group that we should include chocolate in this gift. So I think that's a really great idea. You know, if you win the prize pack and you can't eat chocolate for some reason, I'm I'm very sorry, but I will choose a different, or you can choose a different treat instead of chocolate. Along with three books, your choice of three books, earrings, chocolate, or another treat, you will also get a copy of the new edition of my book, One Traveler, that has a bonus chapter in it that the earlier editions did not have. So that's super exciting. And then when I was consulting with Jessica Baker about these earrings that she offered me, which was so awesome. I mean, they're beautiful. She does beautiful work. And she also has a lot of experience with authors. And we kind of talked about what I could offer as kind of a way for you guys, whoever wins, for you to choose your prizes. Um, we decided that I should include a video call with myself. So you will get like a 15 minute video call. We can talk about, first of all, the books that you want to choose. And also, um, I, I can give you my recommendations, like my top three books. And then we can just chat books for the rest of the time. Or you can give insight on the podcast, what kind of authors you'd like to see on the show coming up. So I think that that would be a super fun prize for me also to get to talk to one of my listeners. I just love hearing from you guys. I don't know if that's clear from this podcast, but it's um, it can be lonely. It's kind of like writing, like you write and you put something out there and you're like, does anybody like it? And um it's the same with podcasting a little bit that you produce this thing and you put it out there and you're kind of like waiting to see what people think. So it's always wonderful when I hear from listeners. And so 
I'm excited about this giveaway because I will be happy to talk with one of you guys also, whoever wins the giveaway. So in order to enter, go to my show notes and you can find the link there to the Rafflecopter giveaway. It will be up for one week beginning today. And then next Thursday, I will choose a winner. But please, if anyone has any trouble entering, whether you like can't get to the show notes or find the link or something, please email me, allison at allisontreat.com. Or there's also a contact form on my website, which makes it super easy to contact me. Now, I thought it would be fun to close the show with a quote from a real historical figure who made an appearance in Jocelyn's novel, The Metropolitan Affair. This quote comes from James Henry Breasted. The man who first gave history a recognized place in science was an ancient historian. So my friends, keep reading historical fiction, and I will talk to you again next week.